This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Is it time to start? Okay, let's get started. A few more people will trickle in while we do. It looks like i got to turn this down just a little bit. Testing, one, two, testing. <clears throat> All right. Whoop. Mm, yes, question. Yes, yes, sorry, I got to tell everybody. Thank you, man. Here, we told the first group, I switched around two messages. So if you got the wrong one and you want to run to somebody else, you're welcome to. We switch around this message and the last message. The rest will all be the same. So I'm sorry about this. So if you leave, I understand. I know that sounds like a great title. This is very interesting information. But um, so what it is is this message would have been to Darwin murder God. Now it is, is, is evolution a detriment to health and science? So I'm sorry about that. And I knew that would cause a little bit of trouble. But... I decided I had to do it, so right, at least I wanted to do it. And it was partly because I didn't realize the last one would be on Sabbath when I was asked to do it. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that your blessing would be upon us now as we go over this question, which is literally important to our physical life and our eternal life. So give us wisdom as we look at this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are asking, we are asking the question, is evolution a detriment to health and science? I'm going to see if I can get this thing working, because it's not. All right, could it be that evolutionists are starting with a bad premise, and because of their bad premise... They're coming to a bad conclusion. Now, in order to find this out, we, we need to look at their ideas, the ideas of the fact that the earth is billions of years old. Is it that this idea is actually a hindrance to science? We're going to look at this as we move forward. Now, this one, we're talking about health and science. Health and science. Now, you may have heard of this today. One of the most popular diets in the world today is something called the paleo diet. Has anybody heard of the paleo diet? Raise your hand if you've heard of the paleo diet. Okay, several of you. Now, the Paleolithic era, according to the evolutionists, was a time period where human beings were hunter-gatherers. And they say what we need to do, this is what some of the evolutionists are saying, in order to live the healthiest... You want to go back and live as the people did during the Paleolithic era. What would another term be for people who lived during that time period? Cavemen. The caveman diet. And it sounds cool, doesn't it? Like, man, I could be like a caveman. I could be strong, you know? I could be whatever, you know? And I could be tough. And, and, and they tell us this is the best diet for the human beings. You'll live the longest. At least that's their hope. Although it's kind of new. It's not new because it's the paleo diet, you know, so it's, it's the oldest diet, really, this is what they say. We have an idea that there's actually an older diet than people living off animal carcasses, and we're going to talk about that. What is actually healthier? So we're talking about the paleo diet. So let's look at some of what the, the, the you know, practitioners of this are saying. This is Rob Wolf, one of the most popular people, uh, you know, he's written the book, What is the Paleo Diet? And this man says... He says, the paleo diet is the healthiest way you can eat because it is the only nutritional approach that works with your genetics to help you stay lean, strong, and energetic. This is a high meat-based diet with... Now, there are some benefits, I've got to say, to the paleo diet, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's basically eating whole foods, so not refined foods. You don't eat sugar, you don't eat junk food, and by the way, that's good to get rid of all the junk. And so they say this is the healthiest way to live. Notice right here, it's kind of small, sorry to show you, but it says the Inuit paradox. We, the scientists actually don't call them Inuit. That's the proper name for society not to offend, but scientists call Inuit 
Anybody guess? Eskimo. In, in the medical literature, they're called Eskimos. And so even today, you know, some people may not, may not like that term, but that's what these scientists call it. They call them Eskimos. So they call it the Eskimo paradox, and you probably can't see it because it's way too small. It says, how can people who gorge on fat, meat fat, and rarely see a vegetable be healthier than we are? So what they're saying is if you were to eat a bunch of animal fat, carcasses of dead animals, you know, even raw, you could eat it raw. They don't all eat it raw. Many of them cook it. But that you would be healthier than we are. This is, this is the idea between, behind the paleo diet. So I'm asking the question, is evolution a hindrance to science? Because this is the idea. They start with the premise that we're, you know, we're slowly evolving and we should go back to our ancestral diet, which they imagined, by the way, was a meat-based diet. But we're going to go forward. So there's another proof. So actually, let me go back to that. The last group of people, those are the Inuits. They said that, that if you look at Eskimos or Inuits, you'll find that they were healthy, super healthy people, super healthy. Now, you've got to start using your baloney detector, your baloney detector. Do you know, has anybody ever heard before that a really healthy group of people out there are called the Eskimos? Not one hand raises. Do you see what I'm saying? Why are they saying they were so healthy then? We're going to go forward and look at that. Another group of people they looked at were the, the Maasai people in Africa, an East African group of people. It says the Maasai keep healthy despite a high-fat diet. They consider these more like hunter-gatherer type people, although they're really not because they raise cattle and grow food sometimes. But the Maasai in East India consume a high-fat diet of animal fat, but they don't seem to suffer from lifestyle diseases. Scientists have now discovered that the Maasai move with a surprising low intensity. So they're thinking maybe it's because they walk like 13 miles a day and they do it slowly. Maybe that's why they're so healthy. But we're going to ask the question, are they actually healthy? That's a better question. Does the science actually show that either of these two groups that are the great proofs of eating an evolutionary diet is the best way you should live? So let's go forward. In 1964, George Mann and collaborating researchers published a paper in the journal of atherosclerosis research documenting a lack of heart disease in Maasai men, at least as assessed by risk factors. So notice they never actually checked. They, they checked with physical exams and EKGs. But by the way, you may know that you can give an EKG and someone looks healthy and they can die a week later of a heart attack. So EKGs do not necessarily prove whether someone has atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries, okay? So cholesterol levels were low in these people. Their average total cholesterol is 130 and in men and, and aged 25 to 55. They had uh, high blood, blood pressure was uncommon amongst the Maasai, and they were very slim. The average BMI, body mass index, was about 20, which is very low, uh, and which is lower uh, in the lower limit of the healthy range by current U.S. standards. So they look very fit, and their idea is they eat a lot of blood and fat. That's, that's the idea. So is it healthier? The interesting thing is, what was their diet? When actually someone went to ask the question, well, what really do the Maasai eat? They tell us they eat blood and fat. That's their main sources of food. But when actually it was, the question was, well, did you study these people? You looked at their bodies to see how high their cholesterol was. You took EKGs. And you didn't know. You didn't actually you know, cut open cadavers to find out if they had hardening of the arteries. But what do they say? The accurate measurement of dietary intake of these people proved extraordinarily difficult. We were able to make only limited measurements. This difficulty is because of the erratic intake of food, meaning these people would actually starve for lengths of time. They just wouldn't eat. And it was actually hard to tell what they ate. So we don't know if they were, these group of people they were looking at were actually high meat eaters or not because most Africans are actually high grain eaters. And they, they don't have most of the Western diseases because they're a high-carbohydrate diet, not refined, but unrefined carbohydrates, and they, and they, have, they have way less risk factors. But let's go forward. Uh, and what about the, that previous imperfect assessment of heart disease? Dr. Mann, who published some of his early research, did an autopsy study. So when they actually cut open the bodies of 50 Maasai men, they found that they had extensive atherosclerosis. So these men who are one of the greatest proofs of the evolutionary diet, when they actually cut them open, they found out these guys were riddled with heart disease. They had disease, coronary intimal thickening, on par with older American men. What does that mean? That means young Maasai men had hardening and thickening of the arteries 
on the same level as old American men. So the Maasai, the evolutionary diet, caused these men to have more heart disease than people on an American diet. And by the way, are Americans known for being on a good diet by and large? So these guys have a worse, they have worse heart disease than unhealthy Americans. Do you see, many times you hear, remember, what does the Bible say? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So this paleo diet is very popular right now because it's, it's cool sounding. It's the, uh, how many of you have heard of CrossFit? It's the CrossFit diet. And so, but the thing is, it can make you really strong and die of a heart attack. But is that really good? That's the question. What's better? You know, to live to 100 healthier you know, drop dead at a young age even though you look really fit. You can be fit and unhealthy, by the way. You can look buff and yet have arteries that are all clogged and you die young. So, that, so fit is not necessarily healthy. So what does it say? Over 80% of the men over age 40 had severe fibrosis in their aorta, the main blood vessel from the heart that supplies the rest of the body with blood. So it's actually not true, this idea that this evolutionary diet is keeping people what they believe would be the evolutionary diet, by the way, is so healthy. The other group of people, we call them the Inuit. That's the more proper term, but the scientists call them Eskimos. So we're going to refer to them as that because that's the, what the scientific literature says. So looking at the Eskimos, so remember, they said, man, the, these people, they eat whale blubber, animal fat, and they are very, very healthy, we read, Right? They're not very healthy. This is fish oil in the Eskimo diet, another medical myth debunked. This is not actually true. It says um, they found 48 studies, a review of the evidence in those studies, um, Fodor and his co-authors write, leads us to the conclusion that Eskimos have a prevalence of heart disease similar to non-Eskimo population. They have excessive mortality due to cerebrovascular strokes their overall mortality is twice as high as that of non-Eskimo populations, and their life expectancy is approximately 10 years shorter than the Danes, than the Danish people. So this idea, and you'll hear it, you'll, if you ever talk to a paleo eater, they're, they're a staunch believer in this, because this, this is the caveman diet, high fat, high meat, and they will say it's no grains, you don't eat any grains, but like I said, we're going to find there are some beneficial things that are good about the paleo diet in just a moment. So they say eat this way, yet these people die younger. Why would you use as your best evidence of the evolutionary diet two groups of people that die young of, of strokes and heart disease? Why would you use them as your greatest evidence of health? Because that's the greatest evidence. Yet it shows you'll actually die what? Younger, faster. So let's go forward. So, well, what about, but then some of, the, some of the, they'll have an argument. Remember, there's always an argument. You can always make up an argument. Always make up an argument. I found the truth is difficult because you can't lie about it. Is that true? It has to be, if it's true. But lies, you can just make up anything. And so one of the people say, well, the reason they have heart disease is because they eat grains. And, and grains are bad for you. Carbs are bad for you. That you'll, you'll die younger. But let's think about this. Is that actually true? Actually, the people who live the longest eat most of their diet from carbs, actually. All the, all the populations of longevity eat mostly carbs. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But notice this. So what about, they say, well, the reason the Eskimos have heart disease now is because they're eating carbs. But the interesting thing is, is that when they look back, they, they, did, they dug up some, these uh, Eskimos had a house, and it collapsed on them. Some women were found. And what do we find? So this was, this was hundreds of years ago, and they found these Eskimos who had been entombed in their house. They were like, you know, I mean, you could almost imagine them like mummies, but obviously they're frozen. Two Eskimo women, one in her 20s and the other in her 40s, they were frozen for five centuries in a tomb of ice. Now, this is before any of the Western diet, you know, trickled in, right? You know, McDonald's hadn't made it to the Eskimo yet. And... So they showed signs of severe osteoporosis. These were high meat eaters who had severe osteoporosis, and they also suffered from atherosclerosis, probably the result of a heavy diet of whale and sea blubber. So remember, the evolutionists will tell you, oh, if you get rid of grains out of your diet, you won't get heart disease. And the original Eskimos, they would have been very healthy, very healthy because they wouldn't have eaten grains. 
But grain eaters are people of longevity. Even gluten eaters are actually people of longevity. Unless you're allergic to the stuff, it's not good for you. But that's only 1% to 2% of people. Most people, it's actually gluten's actually good for you. The science shows. So the, there's a holy cow in paleo. What is the holy cow of the paleo diet? It is something they call grass-fed beef. They believe that beef that is grass-fed will not cause you diseases. That it is only the grain-fed uh, beef that you typically get in, you know, most markets in the, in, in the Western world today. That that is the reason meat is unhealthy. If you were to get organic, grass-fed beef, it would actually be good for you. Well, it would be better to have organic because you wouldn't get as many toxins. That is true. But you're still going to get heart disease and you'll still die younger but the evolutionists will tell you, the paleo diet people will specifically tell you that's not true. You're actually going to live better. You'll see it's actually better for you. But let's look at some of the evidence. So they also, some of them are low-carb eaters. Low-carb means they don't eat grains. They don't eat any sugar. And that's actually a good thing not to eat sugar, refined sugar. That's good. Not the carb, not carbs in general, because grains are carbs, and they're actually very good for you. Like I said, you live longer if you eat a lot of grains. I mean, that's just the science shows. So they did a study with Cambodians and Mongolians. Now, Mongolians eat a, historically have eaten what you would call a paleo diet, meaning eating a high meat-based diet. And are they known for their great health and longevity? Once again, no. So they found, and what's interesting, you have many, you have some of the correlations between the Cambodians. Cambodians are high-carb eaters. The Mongolians are high fat and meat eaters, that's right. So, um, and the Mongolians eat grass-fed beef, the paleo beef, right? The good kind, at least according to the paleo eaters. Now, notice, they eat, both have about the same amount of smoking, you know, right around 30%. Um, the Cambodians are more physically underactive. Yeah, or actually, I'm sorry, the Mongolians are more, they're more physically underactive. No, 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 the Cambodians actually, because they're a higher percentage, they're more physically underactive. They don't exercise as much as the Mongolians. So you'd think they'd be in worse shape. Um, overweight. Now, notice the grass-fed beef eaters are 50% overweight, but the Cambodians, who eat high amounts of carbs and grains, rice, they're actually much thinner. And the uh, hypertension, so um, the, the, the ones who have the prevalence of hypertension, only 12% of the Cambodians, but the grass-fed beef eaters have much more hypertension, about three times the amount. Diabetic. The Cambodians, who are high-carb eaters, high-carb eaters only have 3.1% of their people are diabetic, where it's 6.3 in the Mongolians, the grass-fed beef eaters. That's strange. They're eating more carbs, and yet they have less diabetes. Interesting. And that's true. People who eat high carbs are actually statistically less diabetic. And now, I want to be very clear. When I say high-carb, I'm not talking about drinking cans of soda and shoveling, you know, uh, spoonfuls of sugar into your breakfast. I'm talking about whole, uh, whole grains, you know, these kinds of things. So, or, or, yeah, we'll go on. High cholesterol, once again, the grass-fed beef eaters have higher cholesterol. So grass-fed beef does not actually keep you from diseases, like our evolutionary friends would give us, or they, like they would intimate. So let's go forward. Now, speaking of them, these Mongolians, these people, uh, the reality about them is that they are not as healthy as people might want us to believe. So the evolutionists have started with a bad premise and come to a bad conclusion. They think if, our, if we were evolved to eat meat, that is the best diet for humanity. But if you came from a biblical perspective, what would you guess would be the best diet for humanity? Plants, right? You would think it would be mostly plants. And by the way, the longest living people in the world eat mostly what? Plants. Not some, you know, some quasi-evolutionary diet. Not at all. They actually eat plant-based diets. So let's go forward. They have started with a bad premise, and as a result, they have come to a bad conclusion. But there are some benefits to the paleo diet, by the way. And what, what are some of those benefits? Number one, they eat whole foods. So many, many even vegetarians eat all kinds of refined junk food, right? And many times they can have as high a disease levels as people who aren't. Now, actually, generally they have less. But sometimes they have as much because they eat a bunch of sugar, they eat a bunch of refined food, they eat a bunch of, you know, external protein that they've sucked out of something. But it's better to eat whole 
foods, getting back to the way God intended us to eat. So there are some benefits, no question, to the paleo diet. But is evolution helping us? You think, man, yeah, think of the longevity we have today. This is since we came out with a theory of evolution. Maybe it's evolution that has given us longevity as a society. What's very interesting is here's a chart from 1850. Uh, Darwin's book did not come out until the 1850s. He wrote his manuscript in 1844, by the way. You may have heard about that. That at the same time we were spreading a message to the entire world, he had penned his manuscript. His book had not yet gone to the public in 1844, but the manuscript was written in 1844. As we were beginning to share the creation message with the world, at the very same time, the message of evolution was beginning to be perpetuated. At the very same time. But it's interesting if you look at the charts of longevity, you'll realize it's not what you think. You think, oh, people used to die very young historically. Now, it is true that many young people died. But if you were, made it, if you were able to get out of youth, longevity has, has basically increased about almost zero. But why were children dying so young? The main reason was, does anybody have a guess? Sanitation. Sanitation. Doctors would literally, they would be working on cadavers, they would wipe their dirty hands on their, on their apron, take that same filthy apron that, that is just filled with the disease of the dead body, and then they would go and what would they do? Deliver a baby. They say doctors were actually proud of the fact that their apron, if it could almost, they say it would get hard, you know, like solid from all the guts and all the goo. And they say they were proud of that because it proved how much work they had done. Can you imagine? Why were children, the number one reason for the increase in at-birth longevity is because of sanitation. That's the number one reason. There are, there, there are some other things, obviously, uh, antibiotics and so forth, but the number one reason is sanitation. So yes, we've gotten better, but did the Bible say you should walk around with guts on your apron? What did it say? What were you supposed to do if you came in contact with a dead body? What does the Bible say? You ought to wash yourself. And, you know, we had gotten away from the Bible, so we were, so it, it's not, I mean, you know, we, we think, we, we see that coming into the 1800s, and so, yes, this is one of the things here. But if you notice, if you made it to 70, longevity has hardly increased over the last 150 years. If you made it to, or I'm sorry, if you made it to 40, it's hardly increased. If you made it to 70, it hasn't increased. Very interesting. That if you made it to an older age because you hadn't been taken off by some, you know, um, contagious disease, you basically would have lived a long life. We haven't increased longevity almost at all, except for in childhood. That has increased. So evolution hasn't been able to increase the lifespan, but it's interesting, creation has. Isn't that interesting? That creationists have increased in longevity, but evolution has not been able to change society to increase longevity on the whole. I find that very, very interesting. So it's as if, and I'm not saying this to put anybody down, I believe, and evolutionists would believe this about me, but that they are basically out to sea without a compass. They have a belief that is based upon a theory that man has come up with, and it hasn't enhanced longevity and health. I mean, that, that would be the most important thing for it to do, of all things, would be enhance your health, right? But yet it hasn't really done that. So let's go forward. And I'm going to share with you a clip from our, um, our newest documentary, Ancient Health, which is going to talk about some of these things, this longevity from creation. So let's see if we can get it working and get it loud enough. As we look at the world today, investigations have been done into current society and looking for places where people live the longest and the healthiest. Something that caught my attention is something called the Blue Zones. It's a book written by Dan Buettner from National Geographic magazine. Blue Zones are places in the world where people not only live long lives, but they're actually healthy at these advanced ages. Where you have people that are in the zone, the Blue Zone, they're living a long time. So Sardinia, the Okinawans, the Costa Ricans, or in America, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist. He found five zones in the world, and one of them is Loma Linda, California, which is a high concentration of Seventh-day Adventists. One of the group of people that's been studied the most in modern science in this world are Seventh-day Adventists. Scientists have wondered, why is it that these uh, individuals have lived so much longer? Seventh-day Adventists actually live significantly longer than any other group of people on the face of the Earth. They're the only blue zone that is increasing in longevity. 
So they started doing studies to look at that. And there's been a number of studies, for instance, done on Seventh-day Adventists here in America, sponsored by the U.S. government and other groups to unlock that question. The Adventist mortality study showed that Adventists had death rates from all cancers that was 60% lower for Adventist men and 76% lower for Adventist women. Lung cancer, 21% lower. Colorectal cancer, 62% lower. Breast cancer, 85% lower. The basis for this longevity, this quality of life, is the lifestyle changes. They have less heart disease, less cancer. From the time I was 75 until I was 95, I assisted cardiac surgeons in the Los Angeles area. And I quit assisting in cardiac surgery because I wanted to quit while I was still able to make that decision. In other words, my problems of my advanced years would not make me quit. But the fact is, I could do cardiac surgery today. They actually uh, have a higher quality of life, and if they follow the health principles that they know of, they will live on average 15 years longer than people living next door to them. So the Adventist mortality study really woke people up. They said, wow, that is significant. 60, 70% lower, we need to look even closer. Well, they're the most likely to reach the age of 100 and reach it with a health of mind that's still there uh, and still be able to, um, uh, to do a lot of things. And we're finding that when people embrace this, regardless of ethnicity, genetic background, we're finding that, that we're finding longevity, more years and more life in the years. When we look at this population of Adventists, we note that they have eight lifestyle choices. These eight lifestyle principles have been summed up in an acronym known as New Start. And when you talk about the diseases that threaten Americans, you don't think about uh, cholera or malaria or typhoid. You think about breast cancer, colon cancer, strokes, heart attacks. These are the things that Americans fear. And the scientific research clearly shows that the rich Western diet is at the heart of all these diseases. Let's look at two of the killer diseases in America today, diabetes and high blood pressure. Adult onset diabetes. We don't call it adult onset diabetes anymore. You know why? Because we're seeing it in children. We call it type 2 diabetes now. We've got an epidemic. Believe me, you don't want diabetes. It's the number one cause of amputation, the number one cause of kidney disease, and number one cause of blindness. In the most recent data, when they look at Seventh-day Adventists, they find some are eating very similar to the general American population. We would call them omnivores. They're eating quite a bit of meat and milk, eggs, cheese. They're the reference group, if you will. Not all Adventists live healthy, so you have the ones that live healthy and the ones that don't. And so you can study them as a subgroup. If you look then at those who start getting away from those animal products, they're eating them very seldom, you find that they only have maybe 60% of the risk of having high blood pressure or diabetes. You move to those who've gotten rid of the poultry and the red meat, they're just having fish and dairy products and uh, vegetarian sources of nutrition, they're cutting their risk roughly in half. It continues to go down until you get to the vegans among the Seventh-day Adventists. Again, totally related to what they ate. The vegans had much less problems with blood pressure. Those individuals have only one-fifth the likelihood of having diabetes and high blood pressure. To think about that, it's interesting to think about that the Bible has inspired a group of people to change their lifestyle and now the world is looking at them and saying, why do these people live so long? And these people live so long, not because science told them, because science gave us the idea that the best food for human beings was protein from meat. And so some of the Adventists said, you know, we're just going to follow the Bible anyway. We're going to follow the spirit of prophecy, even though we have no evidence for it. And as they did it, they became the longest living people in the world. Now they're a spectacle to the world because they lived by faith. Now we have the evidence. Now you don't eat this way by faith. It's science now. Now you just know this is the best way to eat, right? Unless, unless you follow the evolutionary theory. But it, 
we've been given this. I mean, look at the prevalence of cancers in men. I mean, you see, the non-vegetarian Adventists have the most cancer. So they're the, like, they're the standard of highest amount. The vegetarian Adventists have less. You move on, or the vegans have the least. Strangely enough, prevalence of cancers in women, vegetarian women actually have a little more cancer than the overall. But the vegans amongst the Seventh-day Adventists have much less cancer. It's probably because a lot of times as vegetarians, we're not really healthy. It's just kind of like a cultural vegetarianism. We eat a bunch of dessert, right, at church. We got all the sugar. We got all the junk food. And so we're vegetarian junk foodies, right? Does that happen? It does. We're vegetarian junk foodies, right? And so what's that? And yeah, yeah, that, that can be, you know, some of them are still actually better, but you're better to get to whole foods. Um, I don't know, I must have, oh, I must have forgotten to put the, but it's negative 20. So you see the non-vegetarians, meaning the meat eaters, have the highest level of diabetes. Semi-vegetarians should be somewhere down in here. It's 20, negative 20, they have 28% less. I don't know, I didn't put it in there. Pesco-vegetarians had 51% less. Vegetarians, 61%. Vegans had 78% less diabetes than the meat eaters, the, the Adventist meat eaters, that is. And so we see all of, there it is. I don't know why I did that, but okay. So same thing here. I don't know. Let's see. There we go. So what's very interesting is, you know, our Adventists who eat meat, they're closer to what we would call the paleo eaters, right? And it's interesting. On average, do you know what BMI is, the body mass index? It's kind of like your weight based upon your size. Anything over 20, 25 and above is overweight, this is looking at only Seventh-day Adventists in the Adventist Health Study, and they found that 25 and above, remember, is overweight. So our, our average vegetarian, our average meat eater, non-veg, our average meat eater in the Adventist church is overweight. Our average semi-vegetarian, one who only eats meat every once in a while, is overweight. The average pesco-vegetarian, those are the ones who eat fish with their veggie food, they are overweight. The average lacto-ovo-vegetarian is overweight. The only group of people within the Seventh-day Adventist church statistically, that, no, we're looking at statistics, so obviously there's some meat eaters who are thin, and there's some overweight vegans, right? But in general, looking at the stats, the only group of people within the Adventist church that are actually a healthy weight are vegans. Isn't that interesting? It's very, very interesting. So, but what's interesting is the closer you get to the, the Garden of Eden diet, guess what happens? Your health and longevity increase, lower levels of cancer lower levels of diabetes, lower levels of heart disease, as we get back toward the Eden diet. So evolution is giving us higher levels of heart disease. Creation is making us the longest living people in the world. I find this very fascinating. I'm going to tell you about something you, most of you probably heard almost nothing about. This is some of the most fascinating science. This is the most fascinating science I've ever found in my entire life. I can say that. The gut-brain connection. This right now is cutting-edge science. That's why many people have never heard of it. The gut-brain connection is that scientists, some of them are beginning to discover that many of your mental problems actually stem from your gut, if not the majority of your mental problems actually start in your gut. Very interesting. We're going we're to look into this. Um, the first scientific study in all of history, this is taken from a history of epidemiologic methods and concepts. Doesn't sound like an exciting book. But this book says, looking at the history of science, that Daniel chapter 1 is possibly the first clinical trial in all of recorded history. Daniel chapter 1. We he see here, this is taken from the United States Na uh, National Laboratory of Medicine and the National Institutes of Health. The article says the evolution of clinical research, a history of clinical research. What do they say in the article? The world's first clinical trial is recorded in the book of what? Daniel. Isn't that powerful? And what's interesting is the study was a connection between the gut and the brain. Now, and science is telling us Daniel was right. So Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't eat the king's meat. And what did he do? He went on a plant-based diet. So Daniel went on a plant-based diet. He said, prove your servants, test us. Ten days, I beseech you, I ask you, plead, I plead with you. Let's do a test for ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. That's plant-based food. So they ate plants for just 10 days, and it enhanced their intellect. You say, come on, that sounds a little fishy. I mean, is that really true? That's what happened back then. You know we've replicated the study today, and guess what? Same thing. 
Now let's look into this. This is this right here. He's not an Adventist. We recorded. Anybody know his name? Dr. John McDougall. You know, I appreciate this man, what he's done, and uh, he's he believes in a health message similar to us. Similar, maybe not exactly, but at least plant-based diet, whole foods, not junk refined foods like many of us sometimes eat. And so, notice what he says. This is very powerful. But the main thing that folks should be concerned about is how long you live and how likely you are to get disease. And there have been three major studies published on this subject, big meta-analyses. And these meta-analyses, and only three big ones have been published, they show consistently that low-carb diets, in other words, low plant food diets, high animal food diets, consistently they show that they're associated with more heart disease and more death, more mortality. If you look around the world and you look at these people in the blue zones, the, the average percentage of calories from carbs range from, ranges from about 50% to about 80%. It, carbs are not the enemy, refined carbs are the enemy. Uh, there have been a number of recent studies. Uh, Dr. Beeshold uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona, first she did an observational study showing that plant-based diet actually significantly improves your depression and anxiety stress score. It's called a DASS score. So the mood actually is improved when you get the right amount of carbohydrates, but also the right type of carbohydrates and less protein. Then she followed up with an interventional study and that's where she took people who are not on a plant-based diet and put them on a plant-based diet for two weeks. She also put them on a plant-based diet plus fish for two weeks to see which one would be superior. And it turned out the fish diet wasn't any more superior than the carnivore diet. But the plant-based diet, significant dramatic changes, statistically significant changes in just two weeks in their mental ability. We see when people go on this diet and drink plenty of water, get plenty of rest, follow these natural remedies that they, it's just like something snaps in their brain and it doesn't take like weeks or months. Plant-based diet is key in our program for depression and anxiety recovery. The results are outstanding because it's a comprehensive approach, it's not just diet. We also utilize exercise and we're utilizing correct thoughts and a lot of different modalities. But the diet is a key element. I went on a plant-based diet about five weeks ago. It's amazing because I, even if they had, had not told me he had the diet change, the first thing I noticed was he was bringing his schoolwork in. And my teacher has actually been bragging on how much better I've been behaving since I've been on the diet. In class, he wasn't getting as distracted, that he was paying attention, he was able to listen more closely. He was being alert, his discernment was better. Uh, he was more diligent, everything. I can pay attention more. My mind is more clear since I've been on the diet. It's just a, a huge improvement. And I also noticed he lost a lot of weight. I mean, but the main things I noticed was behavioral. A study in a middle school has showed clearly that switching the menu from animal source to plant source diet almost eliminated absenteeism. Um, increased and in, enhanced attention and homework performance and performance at school. It, it almost eliminated acts of violence as well as teen pregnancies. And so they just feel better. Everywhere the blood flows, everywhere that perfect circulation goes, they feel better. Not just in body but in mind. Clears up their thoughts even. And every single day since I've been on a plant-based diet, the clarity continues to increase and my face continues to look younger and I, my body feels like I feel like I look more vibrant. I, I've looked at pictures of myself before and after and I look five years older, even just 10 months ago, than I do now. What we eat does get turned into neurotransmitters. It actually helps us or hurts us depending on what we're eating in regards to our brain chemistry and it plays a vital role in health of the brain. They'll say within three or four days, they, they're, they... All right, I better stop. Okay, so what we see is that science is now showing that what we eat affects our brain. That you can literally change a school based upon its diet. You can change your life, you can change your depression based upon your diet. 
And we're going to be talking more about this. But it's interesting because the Bible is the first place that I know of that talks about this. That there's a gut-brain connection. Lamentations 1.20 says, Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My, what? Bowels are troubled. So I'm stressed. Something's wrong with my gut. What? That sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Now, it says it also in Jeremiah 4.19, My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. That there's this gut-brain connection. Now the science is showing that there is this connection. Listen, when Ellen White talked about this stuff, it sounded like 19th century quackery. But now it's cutting-edge science. That's powerful. It's the kind of stuff where like, you're like, she said that, didn't she? But then you're like, what? what? She said it way before the scientists figured it out, right? It's, check this out. I'm going to share with you about the gut-brain connection. 90%, you have a nerve that connects your brain to your gut. And you have a nerve that connects it. It's called the vagus nerve. Not Las Vegas, right? But the vagus nerve. And that nerve, 90% of the information that travels through that nerve goes from the gut to the brain, not the other way around. So meaning your gut's telling your brain more than your brain's telling your gut. Very interesting. And if you, uh, I, I don't have time. We have a whole series on the gut-brain connection, a DVD series. We're giving, a phen- yeah, I, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's something that is just, it's changed my life, I'll tell you that. So check out, what, what do we see here? This is Ellen White, Councils on Diet and Foods. The abuses of the stomach by the gratification of appetite are a fruitful source of most what? She says the majority of the problems in our church come from the what? From the gut. You're like, come on, are you serious? We got bigger fish to fry than that, right? Or do we? Or is science saying these weird statements were actually accurate? They were true. So scientists have discovered that a high-fat diet leads to depressive, anxious symptoms in mice. It also promotes inflammation. But the interesting thing is it does the same thing in humans. So this is what they discovered. They took mice and they put them on two different diets. One of them was a high-fat diet. So what is this guy eating? Cheese. Cheese is one of the fattest foods in the world. Oil is the fattest food on the planet. It's the fattest food on the planet. But cheese is right, I mean, like, oil is 100% fat. Uh, Cheese can be upwards of 80% fat. Very, very fat. So, and then they noticed that these mice on the high-fat diet ended up exhibiting inflammation, which is a marker of depression. So they were inflamed in their body, and which is a marker of depression. They had repetitive behaviors, which is also a marker of depression. You keep going over and over and over the same negative things. And they had anxious tendencies and actions. So they seemed to be depressed by their high-fat diet. Then, then they put a group on a normal-fat diet, And those guys didn't get depressed, didn't have the anxiety, didn't have the same problems. What they then did was they went to the mice with the depression and they went into their gut and they took bacteria from the gut of the high-fat mice and they put that bacteria in the gut of the regular fat diet mice and guess what happened? They got depressed. They had anxiety. They began to be forgetful. They began to exhibit. And scientists are discovering that your bacteria in your gut can either make you happy or sad, depressed, anxious, or positive and outgoing. We're going to look at this. So a regular fat diet mice given microbes, bacteria from the high fat diet mice experienced anxiety, impaired memory, repetitive behaviors, and inflammation. All these things happen with depression. Your hippocampus, which is part of the memory portion of your brain, actually shrinks when you're depressed, and you'll become more forgetful. Very, very interesting things here. So we're going to look at this. So child guidance told us, 398, over 100 years ago, eating too frequently, too much, and of rich food, rich, you know, high fat, high sugar maybe, unwholesome food, destroys the healthy action of the digestive organs, destroys the gut, affects the brain, and and perverts the judgment, preventing rational, calm, healthy thinking and acting. She told us all this stuff. As I began to study it out, I looked at what the science said, and I I said, man, she said that stuff, didn't she? Then you find it. She she said it all 100 years ago. She said it cannot be too often repeated in Child Guidance, page 460. uh, It cannot be too often repeated that whatever is taken into the stomach not only affects the body, but ultimately the mind as well. It is difficult and often well-nigh impossible for one who is intemperate in diet to exercise patience and self-control. You may be struggling with pornography, and the pornography may not even be the issue. 
It might be what you're eating that's making you just go nuts and be lustful all the time. Could that be true? She says the majority of the problems start right here. The anger problem that you exhibit, the depression you exhibit may not start here. It may not be as much of a mental disorder as much as a gut disorder. And getting back to the diet God gave us, and like I said, we have a whole series on this with, with the science all in there. But this is powerful. Why, I think this is probably going to be another clip. Check this out. Whoops. According to an article in the National Institute of Health, the book of Daniel in the Bible reveals the first clinical trial in all of recorded history. What is interesting about this clinical trial, which was conducted 2,500 years ago, is that it is a study of the gut brain connection. Inspiration revealed long before modern science the staggering fact that that which affects the gut will ultimately affect the brain as well. Is it possible that the majority of mental problems may actually stem from the gut? Is it possible to overcome depression, anxiety, bouts of anger, and social anxiety by changing the way you eat? One of the greatest reasons people are not able to find victory in the area of overeating and eating unhealthy food is because they are taken captive by the negative aspects of the gut-brain connection. Instead of being captive to these negative aspects, you can actually use it to your advantage to help you overcome in various areas of your life. In every gut, there are good bacteria and bad bacteria. If you have too many bad bacteria, it can tip the scales into inflammation, joint pain, and even depression. If you have more good bacteria, it can benefit your happiness. How do you increase the good bacteria? Are there certain quantities of good food proven to increase a sense of well-being? In this six-part lecture seminar with nearly six hours of information, you will learn what foods can be eaten that make you comfortably full and yet still lose excess pounds all the while feeling great. You also learn additional information on the diet of the longest living people in the world. In this seminar by Chad and Fadia Cruiser, you will see how cutting edge science proves what was given long ago by inspiration and how your life can be changed through this biblical approach. All right, so you get the idea. Like I said, our booth is number 321. You can come check it out. 321. So 321, you can come check it out. Powerful information. Notice this science now that's out there. Scientific American, think twice how the gut's second brain influences mood and well-being. Now notice they're calling the gut the what? Second brain. This is interesting. Notice what the article said. This is going to blow your mind. Check this out. You can't read it because it's too small, but the guys in the front can. But it says the second brain, your gut, informs our state of mind in other more obscure ways as well. A big part of our emotions are probably influenced by the nerves in our gut, Mayer says. Butterflies in the stomach, signaling in the gut as part of our physiological stress response, Gershon says, is but one example. Although GI or gastrointestinal turmoil can, notice what it says, it can sour your moods, everyday emotional well-being may rely on messages from the brain below to the brain above. So what they're saying is the gut can sour your what moods what did ellen white say people who have a sour stomach are of a often of a sour what do you see this stuff it's like how did the, how did this lady with a third grade education like give us headlines out of the news from 2015 how did she do that the guy the lady died a hundred years before any of this stuff was said and look at people who have a sour stomach are very often of a sour disposition. Everything seems to be contrary to them. And they're inclined to be peevish and irritable. If we would have peace among ourselves, we should give more thought than we do to having a peaceful what? A peaceful stomach. I'll tell you, it has literally changed my life as I experience these things. So I'm going to go forward. Two-thirds of your immune system is found in your gut. So if you want to be healthy, you want to keep the gut healthy. And this, is the, this uh, study they did says, a, this is in the Huffington Post, but it says the surprising link between gut germs and toddlers, what? Tantrums. Very interesting. What they found is that children who had a greater diversity of gut bacteria were happier, more social, and more outgoing than children who had less diversity of gut bacteria. That gut bacteria may be the main reason many children are negative, grumpy, unhappy, and have tantrums. 
Now, that just sounds kind of crazy. Like, isn't it just mental? But it's interesting that what's going on in the gut is telling your mind how to feel so that you exhibit those emotions that were actually, they sprung from the gut. And we see the Bible giving evidence to this, and the Spirit of Prophecy just laid it out word for word exactly how it worked. Very powerful. So um, eating more fruits and vegetables can substantially increase happiness. We talk about in our, in our Gut Brain series how many pieces of fruits and vegetables actually to, to have the highest level of happiness. We go into these things. But I'm going to share with you something so powerful. We have been given this message. So the paleo diet is a high-fat diet. High-fat diets increase inflammation, which will increase most all lifestyle diseases. They also have a tendency to increase depression. So could it be that the theory of evolution is a hindrance to our health and to science in general? And this strange little book that people are ashamed of, the Bible, when actually implemented in human lives gives them the longest life possible here on planet earth and I, i've heard people say you know the bible you know the health message isn't about longevity it is part it's number one about having a clear mind so you can draw closer to jesus that's the most important but the bible even says that god's commandments are for our good for length of days right this is what the Bible says. Eloi tells us, she says, longevity is not basically happenstance. She said it is based upon certain rules and habits that you have these things. So it is biblical. It is according to the spirit of prophecy. But evolution is actually, in the 100 year, 150 years we've had it, has not almost at all increased longevity, especially if you already made it into adulthood. Yes, you know, we started washing our hands and kids live longer and, and, you know, maybe antibiotics and so forth. But those weren't evolutionary proofs. They were just changes in science as we were going along. Science is a wonderful thing. I'm not against science. I'm, I love science, actually. I study science regularly. Reading, reading scientists of, of different persuasions and, and find very info, you know, powerful information that, once again, buttresses, lifts up the Word of God. God has given it. I'm going to share with you something that I find to be one of the most powerful studies I've ever heard of. It wasn't even a study. It was just a lived-out message of what we have been given. And it is what was done in the Victor Valley Medium Community Correctional Facility in Adelanto, California. That's a long name, isn't it? It was a prison in California, to make it simple. But you know, we got to make things sound a little different, right? And so this particular prison was they, the government of the state of California hired a Seventh-day Adventist businessman. The guy's very successful, uh, multimillionaire. And they hired this man to run a prison in California a number of years ago. You can watch videos about it on YouTube. And what happened was this. This man, this wealthy businessman, see, because, you know, private enterprises many times can run things cheaper than the government. So he comes in and, you know, he's able to make money off the situation. Obviously, why would you run something without making any money? And so he comes in as a businessman, runs this prison, and what he does is he gives them he, he makes two sides to the prison and gives people a choice whether they want to live out biblical health principles or not. Nobody's forced into it. You get to choose. Because you know, Seventh-day Adventists don't believe in forced religion. Right? Like, we wouldn't want to force people to keep the Sabbath. That's not biblical. We believe in the Sabbath. We're thoroughly convinced that's what the Bible teaches. History shows the Catholic Church changed it to Sunday and the Bible prophesied they would do it. But we don't believe anybody should be forced to do as we do. Right? We don't believe in that. Religion of force creates hypocrites. So they gave the people the choice. They split them up into two groups, but everybody had the choice. There were 500 inmates in this prison. And they allowed them to choose between the New Start program. How many of you have heard of New Start? Yeah, right? The, you know, nutrition, exercise, water, sunlight, temperance, air, rest, trust in God, the eight laws of health. So they allowed them to choose between New Start program of vegan diet, Occupational training, Bible studies, and anger management classes. But, by the way, how many prisons have Bible studies? Every prison in America. So this, this isn't a diff differing factor from other prisons. This is, you know, they, they have that everywhere. But they changed it by now. Obviously, they were getting, you know, some powerful Bible studies, I'm sure, in this place, right? But, so they, were, they put them on a vegan diet, occupational training. And when, when the, some of the, the people within the government of the state of California, when they said you're, they're going to make a vegan side... One of the government officials says, that is never going to work. These people would rather burn the place to the ground 
them go vegan. They thought no way a bunch of prisoners would go vegan. And so just guess what percentage of people actually chose to go vegan. Just guess. Somebody shout out a number. 30, 25, 45. It was 85% of them. 85% 85% of them, because here's the thing, man, your life stinks. You've been to jail over and over and over, and these people are like, hey, well, you're just going to eat plants, and we think this will help you, and you're like, my life stinks. If that works, man, why not give it a try, right? I mean, I, okay, I'll do it. So it's 85% of them. That means only 15% of them chose not to. 15% of them chose not to. Man, I could go on to prisoners. Did you know, did you, did you ever hear that old study they did where, where they, they had prisoners, um, no, 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 they had people shock somebody until that person was crying out, oh, I got heart disease, please don't shock me anymore. But, but some, the leader of the scientific study was saying, no, push the button, push the button. And, and like, six, like two-thirds of the people would push the button until the people were just screaming for help, and they would just do it every time. Your average person will shock someone to death if there is a scientific person telling them to do it in America. This is a study that was done. But you know who wasn't as willing to shock people to the point of them crying out? Prisoners. Prisoners were like, man, I'm not going to hurt that guy for no good reason. Isn't that interesting? We should not just follow authority because they're authority. We should follow God because he's God. Sorry, totally off the subject. I, I didn't plan on talking about that, but just something to think about. You can, that one's for free. You get that one for free, all right? So 85% of these people chose to go vegan. My wife's going to rebuke me for telling these strange off-the-cuff stories, but nevertheless. So what ends up happening? Now, just to let you know, at that time in the state of California, there's something called recidivism. Recidivism is the statistical rate at which someone who has gone to prison once returns to prison. That's called recidivism. So let's say you go to prison once. At that time, there was a 95%, in, at least in that area, a 95% chance that you would go back to prison. So that means almost 100% of the people, once they went to prison, they were repeat offenders. Does that make sense? When Terry Moreland, the Seventh-day Adventist businessman, ran this prison, while he was running it, it dropped from 95% to 2%. 2%. That's powerful, isn't it? I mean, this is unbelievably powerful. Can you imagine? And I don't know the whole story, and I, but they finally took the prison away from him. And guess what happened? Obviously, right? I mean, you can just guess what happened. I was told, I don't know, and Terry, forgive me if he's, he's alive. I'm not talking to a dead man. But yeah, Terry, forgive me if this is not true. But I was told he later was asked to do it again because it just failed again, just like normal prison systems fail, right? They're not really correctional facilities, though we call them that. This was, I mean, if, if, if you went from 95 to 2%, that's a 93% reduction. I mean, this is unreal. But he, he didn't end up doing it again, probably because he's a businessman, and businessmen are some of the hardest workers you'll ever meet. They work, they're the earliest man there, and they're the last one to leave many times. We don't think about that, but that's just true, at least the ones I've run into. And so, long story short, he didn't do it again, but that's, that's beside the point. So this change was so great. What would have happened in America if they gave every prison this option? Could you imagine if 93% of prisoners never went back to prison again? Could you imagine that? And why did it happen? Yes, there were Bible studies. Praise the Lord, there were those, but you have those at every prison. But we were told that there's a gut-brain connection. Could it be that crime could even be a result of food? You think, come on, it's got to be more than that. Sure, it's more than that. There's other factors, you know, family issues for sure. But it dropped to 90, from 95 to 2%, even though your family didn't change, right? Your family didn't change. Check this out. What if we would have just followed what she said? Notice what she said. This is very interesting. Oh, no, I didn't put the quote in there. Shame, shame. She just says this. She says that food is one of the major reasons or the main, one of the main reasons for vice and crime in the world today. And it's in the video. I'm sorry. I meant to have it there. But shame on me. I didn't put it in there. But she just told us exactly this. And if we would have, here's the thing. Many times we read those books like, you know, uh, what's the one? Counsel and Diet and Foods. Actually, we don't read it because we're like, man, I don't want to know what it says, right? I mean, we'd just rather not know, right? But what if actually there's all this information that could like reverse your depression? 
help you gain victory over your anger problem. Could get, I'm just going to be honest with you right now. I lived in Iceland. I, I've traveled around for the last 15 years. I lived in Iceland, and I, I got sick. Uh, actually, not just myself. Myself, uh, my wife, and a friend of mine, Nathaniel. We were all living in the same house, and we all got stomach trouble. And I literally, I mean, like, you know, I'm a skinny guy. I, I got very, very skinny because we had stomach trouble. I don't need to give you an illustration, but you can just imagine I had stomach trouble. You were in the bathroom, and there was trouble. And, so, and this was day after day after day after day. And so the thing is, they didn't have any bottled water that isn't just from the same water system that I was drinking from. And so finally we had to, and there were no filters in Iceland because they, they say, you know, we have the healthiest water in the world. Forgive me, Icelanders, if you hear this, because I know I'm not trying to offend you. But they actually have good water normally, but the house we were living in had issues. And so what ended up happening was, for the first time in my life while I'm having this stomach trouble, I had seasonal depression while I was in Iceland. I had seasonal depression. And then every year after that, I had seasonal depression in the winter. For two solid years, I had stomach trouble. A whole year in Iceland, I had stomach trouble, and a whole year back in the United States. So two years of it, I lost like 30 pounds. And if you're not a big guy, 30 pounds is a lot of weight. You don't want to lose that kind of weight, right? But I did, and, and my wife lost weight. My friend, my friend who came and lived with us, he came and he was, he was overweight, but he looked phenomenal when he left. So it worked for him, but it didn't work for, you know, my wife and I, but um, nevertheless, so I was going through each year. So then for 10 years, each winter, I had seasonal depression. And then at the end, and I don't know if you know this, it's in, it's in the, the they, they did studies and they find out for every round of antibiotics you take, it increases your chance of depression by 25%. If you take two to five, five rounds, it increases your chance of depression by 50%. We talk about that in the gut-brain connection series. But so as... So then, then I got bit by, uh, you know, ticks, and so I took some antibiotics just to, you know, make sure, just precautionary. And then as I did that, my depression just, like, skyrocketed, and all summer long I had depression. So during the summer, during the winter, and then during probably the next, for about two years had continued. Now, I'll tell you, I was traveling around, around the world teaching people, running a business, doing all these different things, but I was depressed. I had my devotions every day of the week spent time with the Lord, confessed my sins to the Lord, would go to people and apologize over and over and over and over, trying to make my heart right because I was depressed. And it, it, but nothing would make me feel any better. Just felt guilty. Seeking the Lord and, you know, I mean, literally every day, just seeking. The, I, mean, I would go out and just spend hours with the Lord, like really seeking Him. Go out in the woods and seeking the Lord day after day after day. I mean, I mean just, just spending time with the Lord, but, but I had this depression. And what's very interesting, then I read a strange quotation. I saw, I should say, I saw a tr strange quotation from Ellen White from this obscure, you know, 21 manuscript releases page 286. And it says these words. It says, We are coming to the time when recipes for cooking will not be needed. For the food that God gave Adam in his sinless state is the best for keeping the body in a sinless state. I thought, well, that's weird. Never heard something like that before. That's like 21 manuscript. I mean, just this like obscure book that you don't really think about. And as I saw this, I thought, oh, that's strange. That's like the food God gave Adam. That would be like, what did God mainly give Adam? Like fruit, right? Yeah, all, you know, and, and I mean, before that, I mean, there weren't even veggies yet. And I'm not telling you to become a, like, just eat fruit. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But I tried it for just two weeks. I eat still veggies, grains, I eat all those things. But for two weeks, I mainly ate fruit. Two years solid, I had been depressed, and every winter for 10 years. And what ended up happening was, two weeks later, and it was January 1st, I was, uh, it was, no, 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 it was just before January 1st, because I was coming to GYC. Literally, this is, you know, some time ago. Not this year, not this year. And I, I was coming to GYC, and for the first time in years, I could control my thoughts. I could choose to think about what I wanted to think about instead of just having oppressive thoughts. Remember, these mice, what did they have? Negative, repetitive, or they had repetitive habits. And depression causes you to have these repetitive thoughts. So I began to eat this way. Within two weeks, 
I, I started feeling so much better. I continued on a plant-based diet, and we still eat cooked foods, but we eat more, way more raw than we ever did in the past. But it was eating these, and, and I'll tell you, we, we talk in that gut-brain connection series, it talks more about the science, talks about how many, how much fruit, you know, and how many vegetables actually each, it, literally, they've done a study, and it just is progressive how much happier you get as you add these foods to your diet on a daily basis. And it actually increases your happiness not only today, but it, it traverses the next day. You are happier today based upon the food you ate. If you feel bad today, it actually may be because what you ate yesterday. Powerful science. Very powerful. And so I share these things with you because I believe God has given us this, and I'm going to close, that God has given us this message to change our lives, that this message is for our good. That's what the Bible says. LMI tells us that the health message was given to us. You think it's to keep you away from pork. Or it was given to keep you away from cheese or whatever it is. Like, oh, no, I love that stuff. But the interesting stuff, she tells us, one of the things she says, the health message was given to make us happy. She said it was given to make us happy. And we think it's given to make us sad. Friends, God has given us this message. I'd never seen anybody share some of these things, but as I saw the science, yeah, somebody had mentioned, oh, there's a gut-brain connection. I read a little article. But as I began to actually look at the studies, Begin to actually read the people who are doing these things, and you find out God gave us all of this. And it was a quotation that I tried by faith that ended up changing my life. And so I just want to challenge you that God has given us this, and we can be the generation that lives closer and closer to the way God had intended us to, and we'll be the happiest people in the world as a result. This is what God wants for us. Yes, we'll go through trials. Yes, there'll be down times in life, no question. But God wants us to walk with him in peace and joy. Just a quick reminder, uh, thinking skeptics and ignorant, well, that was the first one, second one, yeah, this is the old one, sorry. Uh, what about eight men? It'll be 245. Four o'clock will be age of the earth. And then um, we'll have textbooks deceptions. And then did Darwin murder God will be our final message uh, on Saturday. But let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that we would be open to your message, not looking at it as a negative, but realizing you've given us this message for our good. You can change the world's prison system, and you can change each one of us. Maybe our anger problem, maybe our lust, maybe our depression, maybe our bad attitude isn't just who we are. Maybe it's what's going on in our gut. And you've given us answers on how to live a healthier life. We thank you for your love. Draw us near to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.